Let's turn to the Word of God, brothers and sisters. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, quote, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And, quote, The laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Let's pray before we enter into God's word. Father, help us to hear your word this morning, the word that is God-breathed. All of scripture you want us to hear and know and in, as we work through the details of every text in in various ways, you want to minister to us. Help us to hear that this morning through 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 20. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul has been talking about how the church is supposed to treat widows, and now he switches to talk about how the church should, teach, to, should treat those in the office of pastor elder. Chapter 5 has been this large and instructions to the church, just general instructions. And he wants the congregation as a whole to know we are a family, we care for those in need, that older should be ministering to younger, older men to younger men, older women to younger women, caring for one another, specifically being charged with caring for the most vulnerable and being programmatic about it and principled and procedural about it, not casual. And, he, and this section of text says, okay, how should you treat those that God has placed in leadership over you. And that leadership is in the office of pastor elder, which chapter three dealt with the nature and qualifications of those roles. We've wrestled with that. The first would be this. God commands in verses 17 and 18 that every Christian is to think and act properly toward their pastor elders. Notice, that's how I summarize it. They should not just think, but also act properly. And I get that from the language in verse 17, where it is, is directing the church to consider them a certain way. This is how you think about them, this office. This is how you act toward that office, how you treat it. Again, that doesn't mean that the officers are perfect or without sin. They are as, as necessary and needing of Christ as any Christian is. But out of the fold, Christ selects a few sheep to serve as under-shepherds of the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ himself. They're fellow sheep who are under-shepherds. There's evidence throughout Scripture, and this is one place for this, that the church selected men to serve in the office of pastor elder. It's not only evidenced in Scripture, which is our authority for doing likewise, but even in other non-canonical early Christian literature. Numerous places describe this process. And remember what we talked about in chapter 3, where the qualifications for that office were described. And also remember this. I use the language pastor elder because the office is sometimes called, the people who hold the office are pastors, sometimes elders, and even sometimes in the New Testament, overseers. And each of those aspects or perspectives reflect different functions of that same office. Pastoral shepherding, elder, somebody with wisdom and maturity and insight, or overseer, somebody who can manage and direct. All of those are the same office. That's why I like to say pastor elder, specifically for those of us in our church or others where we separate a pastor 
from an elder when they're the same office. So think of a lay elder versus a staff elder. Think of the office of pastor elder. Paul's ministry specifically was to appoint elders in every church. Missionaries now do the same work where they establish locals or natives to function as pastor elders for their local congregations. This is a good, wise, biblical practice. Paul gives us insight in verse 17 where he says, where he describes that the elders are those who rule the church. And when you hear that, that that, that sounds authoritarian, doesn't it? It's not meant to be understood that way at all. In fact, as congregationalists, sometimes we can, can wrestle and struggle with that sense. If you were to read our bylaws, we would specifically say that while the pastor elders lead the church, actually the church is ruled by the congregation. And we're not going against what Scripture is saying here. Here's why. That word the ESV translates as rule could also, and maybe even better, be translated as manage. It could be translated as lead, which is how we understand it, or it could be translated as direct. So ultimately, we believe God's Spirit guides the members of a congregation to select from among them or somebody bring somebody from outside to help lead, manage, and direct the church. That is to fill the office of pastor-elder. So we rightly fit in this biblical model, and then we should also heed the command that Paul is saying. Those who have been selected by the congregation to lead, manage, and direct should be considered worthy of double honor. Many have wrestled with what that means. Usually two definitions of what it means to give double honor is in view. One is just in the kind of the theoretical, just a level of respect, a level of, of, of submission, a level of response. The other is more in the sense of remuneration, compensation, of financial, that there should be supported. And there's biblical evidence for both of those, and maybe both of those are in view. Ultimately, Paul is saying that this is an office that God has designed, that he will fill, that has a level of spiritual authority, and it should be acknowledged as much. Paul especially mentions those who labor in preaching or teaching. And you might be asking, why that? Well, I wonder if the sense is because they then are the administers of the Word of God, which is the church's authority, which is the, the church's uh, calories, ministry food. But don't think of it just as preaching. I wonder if that word teaching then covers every aspect of what we do, counseling, meeting with people, helping organize discipleship. Really, all the tasks of the pastor elder could fit that category, not just the person who happens to stand behind the pulpit on a Sunday morning. We, we, need, we need to see that this understanding is not to be depicted in some kind of abusive, totalitarian sense that we might immediately think. And we live in an anti-authoritarian, anti-institutional age, and we just need to be aware of the of the, of the water that we're drinking to, to know what that impact is. This is actually a good design and system and that there is a spiritual authority assigned to the office, not, not to the office holders per se, but to the office, that the office holders are bearing, carrying, and administering in their time in that office. The moment that they're done serving in that office, they relinquish that yoke and that authority and pass that on to another. 
But there is a spiritual authority in the office of pastor elders that God wants us as Christians to see. And that's one reason why the Bible often is depicting a plurality. So not one person. There isn't one pastor elder in our church between lay and staff and even including elders in training, we have 12 pastor elders, 12. Now, I am not the chair. I'm the senior pastor of the church, but I'm not the CEO. I'm not the chair of the elder board. I don't set the agenda. The chair does. I sit, we sit in a circle. We all have an equal vote. I don't have two votes. I can't argue for that. In fact, I sit beneath the elders myself because it is not a person who rules that. It is an office and the officers share that authority. That, that, that is where it becomes healthy. That's how we avoid abuses or brokenness. So what is, what is Paul teaching churches like ours about the office of pastor elder? Like, what is he teaching them? Well, I think one might be this. He might be letting you know this. Hear this, Hope Church. Skilled, effective, and hardworking elders add our premium. Quite simply, they're not easy to find. People that are able to commit the time, people that have the spiritual insight and, the, and, and uh, character and capacity to bear this burden for the congregation are few and far between. There, there are not as many as we might think or want. And we just need to know that, that there's a level of responsibility that a few in our congregation carry, and the rest of the congregation should feel that and support that. And maybe that's what Paul is saying when he talks about consider them worthy of double honor. That the church should seek to affirm their elders who can face much discouragement, including things like their own personal limitations, just their own capacity limitations, emotional limitations. I remember meeting with one elder in training a few years ago and he said to me as we met for breakfast at Jessica's, he's like, how do you bear the emotional weight of this role? And, and I explained, I said, my first six months here serving as, as one of the pastors of this church, I had to build up an endurance to move from conversation to conversation, from situation to situation, where as a pastor and an elder, I was suffering with people, caring for people. It is not easy. Congregation, hear that about the men serving in the office of pastor elder. They're not only dealing with personal limitations, but just the difficulty of the task, hard decisions, hard conversation. They're dealing with the lack of visible or immediate results. God, it seems like we proclaim your truth. Are people hearing, responding? When we see brokenness even in our own body of Christ, we hurt and ask God to work. When we see it in our community and we try to extend and reach in certain ways, Lord, what are you doing? And even just the challenge of ongoing striving for faithfulness and fruitfulness over the long haul. Let me, let me qualify that a bit. Any pastor elder serving for fame or fortune is in the wrong work and is simply sinning. There have been horrific stories in recent years, recent couple years, just in the greater northern Illinois area of pastors abusing power for, for financial gain or for physical pleasure. That is absolutely horrific. 
They are rightly removed. And in fact, in arguably several of those cases, they were not removed quickly enough and they were not dealt with appropriately. So this is not some kind of elevating a person. This is not more celebrity culture Christianity. We've done way too much of that. Being a pastor elder is an act of service to the Lord. And it is an assignment of suffering. I think we need to frame it this way. It is an assignment of suffering. You are crying with people. You are working with people. You are bearing burdens with and for one another as you shepherd a congregation. There is little glory in those moments. Any kind of vision of a pastor who has a green room and a big stage and all the lights and, the, and the, the bliss and the glamour and their fancy clothing and their, their big building and their CEO organizational style is not emulating what God's Word says. It is a sheep working with other sheep in a sheep pen, in a dirty, dusty field, hoping that those around them get fed as they try to eat too and heed the word of the shepherd. Yet don't hear that as all brokenness and suffering. It is also an amazing privilege to serve as an under-shepherd of Christ and minister to his people. I consider it the greatest honor of my life to be able to serve in this capacity, even though there are days where I wish particular burdens could be removed. I, I feel that. And yet I am thankful to serve in this role with you and for you. Just this week alone, uh, a sister in Christ in our church called, and I got to go to the hospital and sit with her and her ailing dad as he, went in, he, as he was just in his last hours of his life. And I got to hold her and hold him. And we prayed in asking the Lord to receive his body. We thank the Lord for his graciousness to this man who is a believer in Jesus Christ. I got to just talk with a, a, a sweet saint who is wrestling with the loss of her father. That is a high honor and privilege. Yet I shed tears too. And I, I sat by this ailing body knowing full well and declaring from Romans 8, what an heir of Christ receives, that is a privilege, even though there's burden and sadness in that. That is a privilege to walk with people from birth to death, from new life to eternal life. To be able to walk in that way is a privilege. The church needs more individuals willing to stand up and bear the burdens and the pleasure of that office and the church needs to understand the significance of that office and heed verses 17 and 18. Verses 19 makes a bit stronger of a command. In fact, it basically says one practice that arguably Paul is saying is common, one practice to avoid in the treatment of pastor and elders is false accusations or slander. The language in verse 19 is seemingly legal, but I don't think it should be interpreted too officially. It's not talking about a court case. In essence, Paul is saying that the congregation should protect their pastor elders from false accusations, from slander, and even from undue criticism as they seek to minister to a wide variety of people and in a wide variety of situations. Now, this isn't a statement of immunity, as if some kind of ambassador and his family can do nothing wrong in some foreign country. 
This is rather a command of the church that slander and accusations are quite simply prohibited. This is also not saying that pastors and elders can't make mistakes. In fact, I have yet to meet one that hasn't and doesn't. They will make mistakes, and they must be held accountable. Specifically, it warns the church to avoid things like half-baked heresy, hearsay, or backbiting, or even reproach that can be so common among people who revel in gossip and rumors, half-truths, some kind of uh, slanderous kind of perspective on what may have been said or what he may have intended. Such people and such behaviors are a cancer in the body of Christ, and they need to be rooted out. And it's not just for a pastor or elder to make that case. You Christians, when you hear that slander, whether it be against any Christian in the church, that kind of gossip and hearsay, but specifically against those assigned to serve the church, you speak against that. Finally, to think that it's just the congregation that is held accountable, Paul adds in verse 20. He says, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that they, so that the rest may stand in fear. None of this is to say that pastor elders should not be held accountable. In fact, Paul ends with that. The opposite is true. The, the, The importance of the office, the sacredness of the office, the spiritual authority of the office means the officers not just a congregation, are to be held accountable. Now, some take verse 20 as talking about those about whom Paul was speaking in verse 19. Like maybe verse 20 is continuing on saying, if somebody is slandering in the pastor elder, let them be rebuked in presence of the congregation. But, 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 I, but I think verse 19 is talking further about the congregation, and then 20 goes back to the elders that 17 and 18 was dealing with. Church leaders, in Paul's view, are subject to a high level of accountability. In fact, the language in verse 20 is echoing Deuteronomy 19, which is why I summarize verse 20 and say this, pastor elders who are found in sin should not just be publicly rebuked, but as Deuteronomy 19 would guide us, they should be removed from office. The public accountability is to warn others It's to restore the ministry of the church. And get this, it's to return honor to the people of God and its ministers. If if a pastor elder is to be held and treated with honor, it's talking about the office. A cancerous officer needs to be removed because the honor of the office needs to be maintained. Brothers and sisters, we are living in a generation when cover-ups in churches abound. That is shameful. That is sinful. Many in churches seek power, profit, and pleasure. Have they not read 1 Peter 4, 17? Listen to Peter's words. It sounds prophetic, like a prophet of the Old Testament rebuking God's people. Peter says this in 1 Peter 4, 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Peter is saying judgment is coming. 
And guess where God begins? Guess what he rebukes first? Guess what he deals with first? Out of his loving surgical scalpel out of, of his holiness that removes any cancer and protects the body of Christ, he will make sure that those in the body of Christ who are sinning are the first cancers removed. He'll get to the world. He'll deal with those out there. But first he deals with his own body of Christ. We need to hear that. Brothers and sisters, this text directs us to understand and rightly respond to the office of pastor elder in the local church. It might even seem strange that, that, that a pastor elder is, is exhorting this, but, but hear it not as my own words. I'm simply presenting what the Lord himself has asked for all of us, me included, to do. So how should we as a congregation, how should Hope Evangelical Free Church respond to this? Let, let me give you four ways in closing. The first would be this, know who your elders are. Now, some of that's on us as a church to make them known, to make them present. Having them with their pictures on the website is a good start. Having them involved in church chats and congregational business meetings is a good start. But, but know your elders. We have seven currently right now, and things change with business meetings and, and, and terms ending. But as of this Sunday, we have seven lay elders. Ed Titcomb, who serves as our elder chair. Ed Kipp. Brian Ott, Doug Juleen, Brad Schreiner, Neil Nyer, and Tom Whitford. We have three staff elders. Besides myself, we have Greg Linus and Casey Ellers. And right now we have two elders in training who will be voted on by the congregation to be full lay elders shortly. Marshall Newhouse and Oli Larson. We have a process where we have our elders start as elders in training, even if they've served in some capacity before in this church or another. We, we don't let them vote until the congregation, who rules, affirms and votes them into that office. Then they get the authority. But they get to experience. They get to exposure. They get to be seeing if this is a good fit for them. And we get to see if they're a good fit to serve in this office. We have had pastor elders start as elders in training. And then they aren't a good fit. Either they recognize they're not a good fit or we recognize they're not a good fit, that there's some kind of an issue. We also have had several people wanting to be an elder and we just feel like they're not quite ready or they're not prepared because the office is not ours to give to whomever we want. It is the Lord's and it must be guarded carefully with the criteria given in 1 Timothy 3. Know your elders. Pray for your elders. They have committed to pray for their elder member shepherding lists, let alone the other people in the congregation at large. If they're committing to praying for you, are you committing to praying for them? Know your elders. Pray for your elders because they have to give an account. Honor your elders. Hebrews 13, 17 is, a, is rough language for our anti-authoritarian day, but listen to this. Obey your leaders, the author of Hebrews says, and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. He adds, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Know your elders, honor your elders, pray for your elders, and lastly, fitting verse 20, hold your elders accountable. They have to give an account. Help them in that. I don't think this... This last exhortation is about you having power, but it's about the purity of the church, the sacredness of the office, the honor 
of God's people. And I think it's less an individual congregant having some agenda and more the church as a whole. When you have pastors who are abusing funds or seeking pleasure and the rest of the elders, let alone the congregation, don't address that, that is a stain. Hold them accountable. But when you have faithful elders who serve for years, longevity, seeking to care and minister in numerous situations to you, your family, and the family of God, care for them, honor them, pray for them, support them. And maybe for some, maybe there's some men in our congregation that sense that pull, consider joining them. Uh, it, it is a burden, but it is a great pleasure. It serves our Lord. Let's close in prayer. Father, we hear your word, and we want every week to hear a truth. We want to apply it to our lives. We want, we want, we want, to, we want to grow in our understanding of what it means to be God's people. We hear these instructions in chapter 5 for the church, and we want to not only care for our widows, we want to care for our leaders. Father, help us to be a church that does that. Help the sheep of this church to care for the under-shepherds because they care for the true shepherd. And Father, I pray that you continue to raise up men to help lead this church, to be pastors and shepherds, not CEOs, not board of directors, but shepherds who love Christ and who love his sheep. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.